Good morning. I'm Donna Quinn, and for the next half hour, you'll be listening to Talk of Our Towns. Today, we're going to learn together about a powerful struggle taking place in our state right now, a struggle similar to the one faced on the north coast of Oregon over a decade ago when out-of-state energy speculators proposed a liquefied natural gas, LNG, facility on the Columbia River near Astoria. That was a David and Goliath battle, and David won that one with the help of local residents, Columbia Riverkeeper, and scores of engaged citizens throughout Oregon and far beyond. There's really no such thing as not in my backyard anymore. We're all connected. It's all our backyard. We share this land, this planet, and if something's happening in our community, in our state, it behooves us to educate ourselves and to make a difference where we can. Solving the problems of the world on a larger scale may not be feasible for most of us, but we can pay attention to Oregon, which belongs not just to us, but to all who live and visit here, who marvel at the spectacular landscapes, the diversity of terrain, our rich and singular history. Just as the Oregon coast belongs to everyone, the Blue Mountains and the Oregon Trail belong to everyone, too. My guests today are two Eastern Oregonians who really paid attention several years ago when they heard rumor of a proposed high-voltage transmission line which would run 300 miles from Boardman, Oregon to Hemingway, Idaho, through five counties in eastern Oregon to bring power to Idaho, not Oregon, and which would negatively impact the Oregon Trail, wildlife habitat, view sheds, ranchers, farmers, and take Oregon backwards in the opposite direction of a clean, green, democratic energy future Oregon's committed to. We're going to find out more about this from my guest today, more about this David and Goliath struggle they have been immersed in for over four years. Um, from my guests are Fuji and Jim Kreider of LaGrande, Oregon. They are the co-founders of a 501c3 nonprofit, nonpolitical grassroots coalition known as the Stop B2H Coalition. And by the end of this program, we're all going to know what that means. Good morning, Fuji and Jim. Good morning, Good morning Donna. Donna. Excellent. I'm glad I have both of you on the phone. And before we talk about what B2H is and why this has consumed your life over these last um, over four years, um, let's learn a little bit about each of you, please, for our listening audience. So, uh, Jim, why don't you please tell us a bit about yourself? Okay, well, good morning to your audience and everybody. I hope you all have a nice sunny day like we do here in lovely Eastern Oregon. Um, I grew up in uh, the New York metropolitan area as, as a kid, and the Vietnam War protests were pretty influential in my future activism as I, I moved through life. Um, I went off to the State University of New York at Plattsburgh and got a BS degree in marketing psychology which is basically getting people to buy things they don't want or need. Um, we then both went to work in, in, as VISTA volunteers, Volunteers in Service to America at Attica Correctional Facility, running a literacy, a literacy volunteer program. Um, we did that for two years, and then we went off to Minnesota, to Bemidji, where um, I completed my graduate degree in um, counseling, while working at a juvenile detention center. And then I was fortunate enough to start a career in higher education for the next 25 years, living in five states, working in student affairs. 
In 87, we kind of found Nirvana because I got a job here at Eastern Oregon University. And since 87, you know, we found heaven. We have mountains. We have the open spaces and everything we desired. So you've been living here in in Union County in LaGrande, Oregon, since 1987. And uh, obviously all the things that are precious to you are are here, although you've traveled the world. And you and Fuji have been together for something like 45 years, I think it is, right? Uh, Yeah, about that. We we got married in 77. Yeah, we were married in 76. We started living together. So, yeah, I actually am kind of similar. I mean, I I grew up in... uh, in New York also, and uh, we met up in university, uh, upstate New York, and, and we kind of basically, I guess you could say, we grew up together in a lot of ways. I've been a community organizer and nonprofit administrator most of my career, you know, finding various works in, in different nonprofits, health and human services. I was an energy audit canvasser, uh, hotlines, legislative hotlines, different things. Moving also in the public sector, but different jobs moving around the country for Jim's work because we were looking for that small college town in a great area where we could go backpacking and river rafting. And so we moved around a bit in the early years. And when Jim was at Boise State, I finished my MPA, Master's in Public Administration. And then when we got to LeGrand for 15 years, I was a community health administrator in Union County. And then as um, you mentioned, uh, around 2003, we started our international careers. We left the Grand, rented our place, and um, we worked for Freedom House in Kosovo and Ukraine. And then I landed a job with the Dutch Development Agency in Albania for four and a half years. I was um, an advisor to local and regional public administrators um, for about three years in a mountainous area, just like the Grand, actually. And then um, we moved to the capital city, and I worked with line ministers. That's like the cabinet of the country for another year and a half. And at that time, then Jim was the trailing spouse, and he ended up getting those nonprofit and consulting gigs and that kind of thing around the Balkan area where we were living. And um, so in 2009, we returned, kicked out the renters. <laughs> and uh, But we found our neighbors were really, like, kind of arguing, and there was a a lot of consternation, and we were concerned because we have a very cohesive neighborhood. We organize a phone tree and listserv because we don't have fire protection where we live. We're in the urban wildland interstate, wildfire interface zone, and, like, loose pets and livestock and all that. So we keep people connected. Even when we were gone, um, that was going on. And so when we came back, we were very distraught because the cohesion seemed to be breaking down over this power line thing. And so we said, let's get everybody together. So we had a bunch of meetings, and uh, pretty much we could agree, finally, yay, that nobody wanted the line. Nobody felt it needed the line. And me and Jim, as being former organizers, are going, you know, we sound like a bunch of NIMBYs. We've got to research this. How do you know it's really not needed and all of that? And so the deep research began at that point. And um, so I guess you could say we've been around the block a lot, um, organizing people and managing programs and all, and um, well, so you we certainly devoted yourselves yes, to this over these last years. So well, for those listeners here uh, who are listening on the coast, and of course, obviously we're on the web, so people can listen from anywhere in the world, um, what is Eastern Oregon? Uh, maybe there are some people who are not familiar with Eastern Oregon. I mean, they may know some highlights about what's in Eastern Oregon, but Jim, would you tell us a little bit about what Eastern Oregon is? Because we need to kind of know what's at stake here. 
Right. Well, we've talked about our beauty and our wide-open spaces, but, you know, our economies are prominently agricultural with food processing operations, data centers, regional and national governments are big employers. We have colleges and universities, lumber mills, mining, and other natural resource-based industries. However, tourism, since logging has, has dropped, Tourism has become a major economic driver in all of eastern Oregon. You know, as you mentioned earlier, the Oregon Trail history is throughout the landscape. Um, the, the Confederated Tribes have the Tamesco Museum and Casino, and about two hours east on I-84 is the National Oregon Trail Interpretive Center. Both these centers speak to the same period of time in our history, but with very different voices and outcomes. Um, fascinating. You know, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Yeah. And our, our culture is maybe a little bit more diverse. You know, Eastern Oregon is has mostly, you know, white Caucasians who are growing older in age. But we have strong Hispanic farm working communities in Umatilla and Malheur counties. We have tribal members in Umatilla and Morrow counties. And in Union County, we have a mixed university community as many Micronesian islanders have settled in LaGrande because of the exchange program Eastern Oregon University had with Micronesia. But, you know, right. our economy struggles like other economies. Our wages are, are below the average state wages, and we have our fair share of mental and physical health issues. And providing course, these services right. over such vast distances are, are difficult at times. Right. Recreational opportunities abound in East Oregon, which is why a lot of folks on the west side come to the east side to hunt and to recreate. And probably a lot of people would be familiar with the Pendleton Roundup, obviously the Oregon Trail, which you've talked about, which is precious to the world, the Oregon Trail is. Um, and then, of course, Hell's Canyon. So it's a, it's a diverse geographic region that is, uh, that is that where there are things here which are found nowhere else, actually. So Eastern Oregon belongs to everyone, and now B2H is something that would impact not only the Oregon Trail but many other things. So what is B2H, Fuji? Okay, so B2H, you mentioned some of it in your introduction, um, Donna. It's a 500-kilovolt transmission line from Boardman to Hemingway, 305 miles. That's like going from Astoria to Gold Beach, a six- to seven-hour drive, a solid transmission line that will carve a 250-foot-wide clear-cut or corridor, 1,200 giant towers averaging or mostly being 180 feet tall, where most of our current poles and our current transmissions are only 85 feet tall. Um, the cement footings would be blasted down 20 to 40 feet deep into the earth, 442 miles of new or substantially upgraded roads bladed. The cost in 2016 was estimated at $1.2 billion, and so ratepayers are going to be on the hook for 30 to 50 years. 74% of it is private lands, only 26% of public lands, mostly in Mount Hood County. There's no off-ramps, and it's basically a superhighway. There's no power distribution along the way. It's just a superhighway through our, through our lands. Right, and B2H already has, uh, I mean, not B2H, I mean, Idaho Power, I mean, there are already power lines which can be upgraded. There are all kinds of other alternatives, but this is kind of this behemoth, this, this, this beast that they want to put in. And 
why do they want it? Who wants this, and why do they want it? Well, basically, the, the primary drivers of the, the B2H are Idaho Power with a 21% ownership, Pacific Core with a 54% owner, and they're investor-owned for-profit corporations. And then there's the Bonneville Power Administration as a 24% owner as a governmental agency. Each has different needs, priorities, and planning processes. Um, the for-profits submit their plans to the Public Utility Commission, and the BPA is still in an evaluation stage. But Idaho Power is saying that they need more energy by 2026 because they're disinvesting from many of their co-owned coal power plants. They also state that the capacity on the transmission line on the Pacific Northwest path is constrained during peak seasons, which are winter and summer. They, they also want to access more external markets via the energy and balance market to tell self-surplus power, mostly to California. Now, Pacificor wants this because they have what's called the Gateway Project, where they're building out new transmission throughout the West, and B2H is segment H, which is one of the smaller segments. The BPA is interested because they have an obligation to serve their Southeast Idaho customers. They've been evaluating six options they have to serve these customers, and B2H is one of these options. But like I said, they are still in a, a evaluative stage. Now, well, there are alternatives, and we're going to talk about that in the second agreement. half of the program, that, mm -hmm. that there are certain alternatives for this. Um, and I know you all have, have deeply gone into this. You're, we know you've, you've practically educated yourself on so many legal issues, and, and obviously environmental impact statement apparently was not complete. There are a lot of reasons why you created, you co-founded this coalition uh, stop B2H. Um, and Fuji, tell us briefly the reasons why this is a bad idea, please. Right, right. And I know we have to be brief, and there's a lot here, as you mentioned. Um, you know, first and foremost, as we said, it's not needed. Idaho is growing for sure. That's true. But the energy consumption in their sales is still completely flat for the last 10 years, even declining, just like the rest of the country. Um, but for us in Oregon, then, it's a huge environmental issue, and it's very counter to Oregon's climate goals and climate agenda. I mentioned the clear cut, so we're carving away the earth, 400-plus miles of roads, over 7,000 acres of vegetation and timber uh, will be removed, so it releases carbon when we do these removals. We can never sequester carbon again in, in the um, arid swaths that the roads, 400 miles of roads will be built. Um, these cement footings destroy the underground ecosystems as well as the above-ground ecosystems. Soils will be degraded and, and lose their productivity and their value as carbon sinks. It's also a historic preservation issue. Um, we mentioned the Oregon Trail. That will be crossed eight times. Um, once that's destroyed, you can't bring that back, you know. So, um, But also the grid, it's the centralized grid is really becoming outdated. It's very vulnerable to hacking from terror groups, domestic or international. We have storms, we have wildfires that can create cascading grid failures, and all of us will be out of power. And then I mentioned the wildfire Wildfire risk. It's huge, and it's become such a tragic reality in the past few years for us in California and now in Oregon. Um, you know, they, there's so many health and health issues as well. The Idaho Power wants a blanket 
noise variants across the whole transmission line because they cannot comply with DEQ noise standards. Um, electromagnetic seals, uh, electric shock, your farm equipment. Um, it's a land taking. 75% of this proposed line is on private land. People will be facing imminent domain. The view sheds will be diminished. The property value is reduced. Tourism assets diminished. Um, and, you know, this loss affects everyone. You cannot put a value on this permanent loss of quality of life. And all of us, not just the people who live here, but our visitors, who are more and more, like Jim said, with the visitors that come, people who recreate, hunt, enjoy the open sky, beautiful view sheds of our region. And, you know, the sad thing about it is that there's plenty of alternatives to B2H. And, um, you know, I think we'll talk about those maybe after your station break, but um, there, it's really a sad thing for Oregon. That's what I have to say. Right, and I'm looking at this, and, and the website, stopb2h.org, is extremely um, informative. You have a, a list there of top ten reasons to stop B2H, what alternatives are, that, you know, it is a climate issue, it's a property rights issue, it's a public safety issue, it's a corporate profit grab and corporate profit and corporate, I'm sorry, and corporate greenwashing issue. Um, you've done a lot of research. Um, if you have just tuned in, you are listening to Talk of Our Towns. I'm your host, Donna Quinn. And today I'm speaking with Fuji and Jim Kreider. They are two Eastern Oregonians based in La Grande, Oregon, who uh, co-founded a nonprofit, nonpolitical uh, grassroots coalition known as Stop B2H Coalition, which includes farmers and ranchers, includes people from five counties in eastern Oregon. And we've been talking about a uh, high-voltage transmission line that Idaho Power wants to build through five counties in eastern Oregon known as B2H, and their organization is StopB2H.org. So what is the B2H Coalition, Fuji, please? Okay, I think, Donna, you did a great job of describing us, so I don't think I'll go into much more detail just to say um, some numbers where right today I, count, I looked at our website, I mean our database, we're 861 members. We have eight organizational members. That includes California Oregon Trails Association, Greater Hills Canyon Council, Friends of the Grand Lawn Valley, Wildlands Defense Oregon Rural Action, many groups as well. And um, But the diversity and the political spectrum of our group is really fascinating. I think that's probably the, the most interesting thing we have found, Jim and I, in this movement uh, as compared to other movements we've worked in in the past. Uh, we have environmentalist farmers, sportsmen, birders, conservatives, liberal. You know, you get the idea. And we've all come together for this fight, this David and Goliath fight. And um, because, you know, we envision clean energy jobs and rural thriving economies in the energy future, not some measly 10 jobs from the transmission line. But um, anyway, this, so we've come together. We want to stop the line, not just move the line, because we really feel it's not needed and it's a waste of money. And I want to tell, toss it over to Jim to dis describe the strategy and how we're, we're working this through to fight it and, and stop the line. Right. Well, basically, we, we have a, a four-pronged strategy that's kept us focused over the years. Um, first, we have the, um, the federal government, with the Bureau of Land Management being the lead agency conducting the National Environmental uh, Protection Act, the Environmental Impact Statement. So they did that since they cite the land on federal land. Then we have the state with the Oregon Department of Energy and the Energy Facility Siting Council. They cite the line on private and state land 
which comprises 76% of it. And they have a standards-based process, which is a little bit different than the federal process. Then we have the public utility commissions of both Idaho and Oregon. And that's where um, more of the regulatory battles take effect, um, where we are interveners in both dockets in both states, as well as interveners in Pacific Corps dockets, since they think they're going to co-own part of the line. So what we're doing is working through those three regulatory processes with our fourth strategy, and that's involving the public and building alliances and getting people involved. Like Fuji mentioned earlier, our country is in such disarray, tearing apart at people. But this is something that in rural eastern Oregon, regardless of you being blue, red, or purple, people have come together to say, no, this is not needed. We actually had the second joint city and county meeting in Union County with the city of LeGrand in over 15 years, and over 250 people come out. That's unheard of in eastern Oregon. So we know people are concerned because this is going to change our way of life. It's going to change our traditions, change our cultures forever. So that's kind of our strategy as we move forward. And our vision about this as we move forward is, you know, like I mentioned, the clean energy future. We know that the U.S. has to transition to a decarbonized energy system and modernized grid. And we can do that. There's, There's so much is going on with technology these days. It's amazing. And so with distributed energy generation, we see batteries not only providing great storage at cheap prices, but ancillary services and supporting the grid to help smooth renewables onto the grid and provide voltage regulation. It's amazing. Things we've learned. Distributed, smaller, more secure microgrids that can disconnect during times of emergency from the, the main grid. Smart meters, more than just like reading the meter reader person and getting them out of the job, but these also are part of the smart grid, and that will enable the customers and the, and the producers, the new energy producers, to be able to partner with utilities and reduce the peak loads and peak demands. Um, steam capture out of all the fast food processing facilities, like Jim said, or the frozen food factories, Steam capturing, bringing more energy into the system and into the grid. And we basically see this as our coalition is working to support these decentralized, democratic energy systems of the future because that's where the technology is going and the trends. And, you know, if we're going to be stuck paying for some old, antiquated technology for 30, 50 years, it's going to set us back. Our rural economies want to invest in innovation in the future. That's the future of, of the world and of us. And if we get set back, it just, you know, we're rural, yes, yes, but we don't want to be stuck back in the old obsolete technology. We see ourselves moving forward and boosting our climate resiliency, ultimately safeguarding our public health and safety and access to electricity. And we call that energy well, democracy, by the way. Democracy, yes. Well, a small, powerful group of people can make a difference. Unfortunately, you are up against some very well-funded, you know, um, uh, corporations and uh, and people who promise jobs and all those kinds of things. So you need to let people on the west side, people everywhere in Oregon need to know about this issue. And the best way for people to do that is probably to go to your website, um, because here we are, we're, we're, we have so much we could still talk about. We have, you know, this could be a couple of hours we could talk about all of this, and because you've educated yourself about all of these energy areas 
and we now know that what they want to build from what the research you've done is actually going to be obsolete by the time it's even built. And so why not use, you know, go for the new Oregon Energy Future vision? And that's what you all are trying to do. So what else can the listening audience do to learn more to support Stop B2H Coalition? Right. Okay. So as you mentioned, come to the website, stopb2h.org. We have a lot of information there. You can always write your representatives, and especially Governor Brown, because she's still stuck in the old narrative about transmission being good for the climate. And uh, we've learned so much more than that. Um, And, you know, promote energy uh, conservation and distributed energy and microgrids. Uh, You guys are preparing for those for the Cascadia event and microgrids, and we need to prepare for that over here, too, with wildfire. And, well, you guys now, too, for wildfire. Um, but anyway, to be promoting that and speaking to your representatives and the governor, that's a really important action that people can take. And then finally, I have to say, is donate, because we have been, we're a completely volunteer organization, um, but we have to have attorneys now. And so they cost money. And uh, if you can donate, you can catch the uh, big fundraiser we have going on right now, as a matter of fact. Uh, a, a generous donor has given us a challenge match of $5,000 for every $50 that are donated. Uh, they'll be matched up to $5,000. And with that, we also have drawings, two really incredible drawings, uh, um, Andy's uh, Hilltop Getaway in Richland, Oregon, so folks can come over and visit the west, the east side, um, or uh, a, a beautiful queen-sized quilt from a renowned quilter in the region, Ellen Krieger. So um, check out our website, stopb2h.org. You can click on the button for the fundraiser there, and uh, that would be wonderful. And um, we'd love to come back another time and talk more. Jim Absolutely. I'd love to have you all back and, and learn because you're still involved in the process. The process is happening right now. And, of course, you know, most of the local communities and counties they who haven't done this, a lot of people who don't know this, they just think, oh, there are jobs involved, and yet um, there's, there's so much more than that at stake here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's only about 10 permanent jobs, and that's actually getting confidential. I don't know why, but uh, there are a lot of construction jobs I like to tout that, but those jobs will only be for three to uh, four to six months, they estimate. And with the specialty skills, there will be more out-of-state workers than in-state workers. Right. Only about 25% will be local. Right. Well, you all are moving to, again, energy democracy, a future for Oregon, like Green Mountain Power in Vermont. That's a great example of people who are doing some things. And and so it's it's very inspiring what you all are doing, um, how you have really, this has taken over your lives. And um, and you're trying to let more people know what's happening and what's at risk here in Eastern Oregon with B2H projects. So um, I hope that our listeners will will visit your website and, and learn more. Thank you both so much for taking the time to be on the program today. There's so much we could talk about, and I know we had to keep it very short. So hopefully we gave people an overview so they understand what's happening. You bet. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Thanks, Donna. Thank you so much, and um, thank you to everyone who listens to Talk of Our Towns, which is the first Thursday of each month now at 9 a.m., and for supporting Coast Community Radio. Uh, Thanks so much, Nevada, for being the engineer today, and my gratitude to local talented banjo instructor Michael Bruin for his original theme music for this program. Until next week. 
find a moment for yourself. In fact, let's just take that moment right now to take a very deep breath. It is so good for body, mind, and spirit. And then with gratitude, focus on the things that are going well in your life. There will always be things that aren't going well, but focus on those things that are going well. And then give yourself a loving and compassionate hug or a pat on the back for being uniquely you, for doing the best you can, and for being here now in this moment, the only moment that exists, the now moment on the amazing planet we call Earth. <laughs> 